would be one, go out and explore. You know, don't wait till your 50s to explore. Um, I just never did that, so I've just been always craving it. Um, to try to follow your passion, try to work in a job that's that's uh, something you that's meaningful. It's something you believe in. Um, and I think the third thing would be, you know, try to live a little more simply. Don't worry about, um, you know, the big house or the clothes or, you know, just wasting your money on huge weddings, things like that. Like really just trying to live simply and, um, finding joy and, uh, you know, figuring out what gives you, what brings you joy. And certainly things are usually not it. That's right. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Uh, it's another one with just me. Uh, actually, we have a bunch of changes coming up in the show uh, that we're really excited about, and I'll be sharing those over the next few weeks. Um, so we'll, without further ado, we're going to get into our guest today. This this guest is somebody who is a very important part of my life. About, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, my daughter was in preschool and, you know, my wife and I, we were entrepreneurs. And so we were looking for like alternative education programs and everything. Cause like entrepreneurs do, we don't, you know, we don't do anything traditional, do we? <laughs> so, um, and we came across Montessori and we thought, wow, what an interesting program. So we started and went to, um, uh, preschool Montessori program. And at the time it was one-on-one -on -one in a church basement with our guest here, who's Miss Allison Schechter. So welcome, Allison. To, our show, uh, to the Wayfinder thank, Show. Thank you yeah. so much. I'm um, honored to be here. I'm glad you asked. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. And it's so great to see you. I can't believe it's been like 14 years. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah. <laughs> so I've already shared our, my first uh, recollection of how we met. And, you know, I guess before we go on to what happened next, if if you want to just share a little bit about your your origin story, you know, where you're from, let people know a little bit more about you. Sure thing. So, um, I grew up just outside of Buffalo, um, a small suburb, um, basically white Christian suburb, went to public schools. Um, uh, fun fact, I was, uh, adopted and, uh, oh, found, I didn't know. found a bunch of my birth family in the last couple of years. So that's been a fun part of the wow. journey. Um, but in any case, um, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was a, you know, kind of your normal upbringing. Um, but I just knew that there was, I knew that that wasn't what real life was. I knew that there was a more diverse world out there than the school and the suburb that I lived in. And, um, 
so after college, I went to college in Syracuse at Lemoyne, and then I moved to Baltimore with a friend of mine that was a nurse at Hopkins, and ended up staying there for thirty years. I did not plan to do wow. that. Um, and <laughs> in my time there, I was originally working in um, social work, um, and I got frustrated with feeling like I had a lack of impact due to uh, the bureaucracy that would interfere. Um, And there was a grant program for special educators for a master's program at Hopkins. So I went into that program thinking if I was working with kids on a daily basis, I'd have a stronger impact. And um, from there, I became a special education teacher and... um, Worked in Baltimore County schools, public schools, uh, and really enjoyed that, but um, was just frustrated with the very traditional approach and was trying to kind of cobble together a more, like you said, a more alternative approach, something that was going to be joyful, was going to be more individualized to work for all children based on what they needed. And um, so we were kind of looking at different approaches around the country and sharing practices with other educators. And they seem to be really overwhelmed by just kind of some uh, basic best practices. And then I, I took a pause to um, have three children. And in that time, um, I found Montessori education. And literally the first day that my um, young, my oldest um, started at a private Montessori, because that was the only option she started when she was three. I just, I just fell in love. I just looked around and thought, here's everything I was trying to cobble together um, into one program. It was already there, very comprehensive, very joyful, very individualized, very hands-on, um, very different from the way I grew up. Um, school was not meant to be joyful in the school, in the <laughs> schools that I was in. Um, my mother was an educator and she taught that way as well. Um, but in any case, and then I just kept thinking, well, why can't this be for more kids? Why can't we bring this to kids in Baltimore City, kids that don't have access to it? Um, so from there, I started a little parent-toddler um, program in the church where yeah. your dad came. And right. um, just to kind of, I don't know, try to um, expose people to Montessori education Um provide a safe space um, for young children to explore because that just seemed to be something disappearing in our world and a place for parents to connect with one another and then just kind of see from there um, what what the interest was in going any further. Um, My hope at that time was just to open one public early childhood Montessori class classroom with Baltimore City Schools in partnership with them. Um, and I couldn't really get them to do that. Uh, they did connect me with some other folks in Baltimore City um, to see if maybe it could happen in other ways. Um, anyways, from the toddler program in the church where your daughter attended, there were so many families that said, "Wait a minute, we we want a we want a school. We want a whole yeah. school, at least through elementary." And so from there, I started learning about charter schools from other people that had started charter schools because that was the only option at the time is to create a public charter school and then put together a skeleton board and a nonprofit with the toddler program. And, uh, and from there, it just, uh, it just took off. It was just trying to get other people to believe in the vision, find a building, um, get it ready, get the application in and, and get us open. It was a pretty wild, uh, fast process. Yeah. 
I remember those times and, and it, it was wild. And I, I think we were very lucky and blessed that we came across you with the priest, the toddler program, um, because you were talking about it and we we're like, Hey, yeah, we'll enroll. And I think, uh, at that time there weren't too, too many people, you know, who were enrolling or all that. I think we were amongst the first parents. Right. And, and, um, Yes, yeah, and then right away, as soon as it started, it took yeah. off. Yeah, Stacy came in as a. We had a small. We we did have a wait list in the beginning, but not as big as it became a few years later. And it's still usually about a thousand kids on the wait list. Wow! I remember you came in. Your, um, your wife um, came in teaching uh, as a yoga teacher. Um, That's right. Yeah. She came in <laughs> as a boy. Um, yeah, it was wonderful having your family as a part of it. You know, Thank and you. being part of that you know, and appreciating the, um, that, that startup phase, which is, uh, you know, is, is, um, exciting, but also very challenging. Yeah. Well, it it was so much fun because you also made it, I I think the startup process, right. Right. Was, um, it felt like it was, um, like a bootstrap startup, right. You, you somehow, I mean, you, you worked miracles. I mean, I remember you got this amazing building, in uh, the Greenwich neighborhood, uh, Greenwich East, Green Mount, Green Mount East. Green Mount, Sorry, I'm Green, yeah, yeah, right Green neighborhood. Mount. It was a really cool old building. I think it was an old school house, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like hundred years old, right? If I remember correctly, and run down, and it was definitely and, very down. It was one of the first school buildings that was uh, integrated in Baltimore, but it had been vacant for about ten years. Yeah. Um, and then it was, uh, yeah, everything was stripped out of it. Uh, there was a yeah. lot of area. The whole area was pretty vacant. And then uh, yeah. this, the the wire was filmed there. That's our clean. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the city used it as a homeless shelter. And then a private school was going to go in there, and they decided to stay in the building they were in in Fells Point. So it was yeah. just a lot of, a lot of begging. Um, uh, the mayor... Uh, I don't know if it was affectionately or annoyingly um, called me very tenacious, <laughs> but um, but yeah, but we we got it done. We were able to to get that building, and and now we're. I remember the first two years we didn't even use the top floor, so we, we uh-huh. were able to wait to right. four hundred people living there. So there was a lot of work. Oh. We had to do. Um, but then now we're now we're bursting at the seams, and there's not one unused little space in the building. Um, wow trying to figure out another space to serve more kids. Wow. That's awesome. So I remember you also made this, it wasn't just the education for the kids, but it was like a community you built for all the families. You got, I remember you, you were very intentional about getting people from the community to come out. And I also remember a lot of the parents getting involved. Like I remember hanging chalkboards and fixing walls and sometimes in classrooms <laughs> and uh, you got, uh, Denzel, one of, one of the other parents, set up a, a urban garden, and we had chickens and everything. I mean, it was it was really really a magical place that you created there. That's a great memory. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it yeah. was interesting because your charter school, even though we were the school in the neighborhood and the only school in the neighborhood, you couldn't automatically enroll families um, mm-hmm. from the neighborhood because of the way the law was set up at the time. So. It took three applications in 10 years to finally get approval from Baltimore City Schools for um, kids from the neighborhood to have preference into the school. And they have since wow. taken that away because they oh. feel like we're impacting, uh, we're taking students away from um, other 
uh, area schools. But in mm. any case, so that sense of community was really important. Um, one, because there's a lot to do with the startup, so you really need the volunteers. Two, so that you are really can be a trusted anchor in the neighborhood, especially if kids can't always get in the school. And then three, because we had students coming from every zip code, 26 zip codes in Baltimore. So you wow. had to find a way um, to connect folks when they're not just necessarily walking their child to school and um, and also build trust across, um, you know, such a diverse student population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... That that was another piece that was interesting. You had you you mentioned this the neighborhood that this was in. Well, first of all, you had a homeless shelter there. That kind of says a bunch. Of, it's over by a very notorious cemetery, if I remember correctly, in <laughs> in, yeah. in Baltimore. It, it was that that's not a neighborhood that most. When you think about the bad things that happen in Baltimore, you kind of think about neighborhoods like that. And that that was our our building, our kids' school, right? And we came <laughs> from all over, and I. I was fortunate to live in a pretty decent neighborhood in in Baltimore, and a lot of other families did. But we all came there every day and brought them there, uh, and then we'd still see some people walking over and everything. So it was it was the one place where you could kind of go and see all walks of life in Baltimore coming to, which mm-hmm. was my recollection, yeah. which was neat. Yeah, yeah. people thought we were crazy, right? But uh, yeah, but yeah, but we made it work, and, and the neighborhood has like really evolved since then. Um, yeah. As as a school, of course. Sure. Now, actually, oh, now we actually have um, a glass front entrance. Like it's all glass doors that you can see into instead of being like wow, like it wow. was before. Um, which I was very nervous. It took us a long time to do, <laughs> but um, it's uh, it's actually. Um, uh, I think we were ready for it, but it's, uh, you know, it was done in a way that it's still very, very secure, but it's much more uh, welcoming. Wow. That's excellent. So tell us more, you know, going back to, I mentioned that, you know, we were entrepreneurs at the time. I know you were, this is probably the most enterprising thing I think you can possibly do, right? I mean, it's, we can all go and start a business, file an LLC, get a bank account, start going out to get a client, but you this was essentially a big business that you started with nothing, got money from a very bureaucratic system, uh, which is the city of Baltimore, right? Uh, got families to come from all walks of life to come in there. Um, and, and you filled it up to to a point where you've now changed the neighborhood. You, you've changed, uh, you've got a waiting list of a thousand people. It just blows my mind. Um, talk a little bit about more about those challenges, uh, especially on the bureaucracy side and how that felt, you know, how you would overcome some of those, what were some of the strategies, what kept you going? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think the, the number one, uh, I think one, of, well, I think one of the main aspects that made us successful is having a very clear vision from the beginning and being really, mm-hmm passionate to the point of being tenacious. Like I remember Mayor, Mayor Dixon saying at the time, uh, get other people to believe in your vision and get them on board because you need a lot of people to help you because um, you're not going to have all the answers. I didn't know how to open a school. I was a teacher, but you know, I'd never opened a school or ran a school. And so you really got to ask a lot of questions, um, kind of figure out what you don't know and who you can go get the resources from um, 
and then and then really just taking it step by step. Um, and then when things get tough, making sure you're surrounded by people that believe in your in your mission and in your vision. Um, and then just having that what do they call it that stick to itiveness um, of what you believe in, and just keep plunging forward. Um, it definitely wasn't easy. We had a lot of uh, disagreements with the school system in terms of autonomy in in wanting to serve kids in the way that we thought our kids needed to be served, um, which kind of uh, collided with what they were hoping for um, in a big school system. Um, so it's really about, you know, surrounding, I think, the clear mission, being passionate about and really truly believing and getting a team on board that believes in that vision and mission. Um, and then really just, uh, you know, sticking with your gut and sticking with what you believe in, um, knowing when to apologize and when to kind of give it, <laughs> but sticking to it, you know, as much as you can. Yeah. I, I may offend my ex-Baltimorean friends here when I bring up this question, and I apologize in advance. But I, too, you know, try to do a lot of um, things in Baltimore. And, and, and as you say this, it brings up, you know, you, it, it was it's, Baltimore is a great place. You can really – there's a lot of support for getting things going, I think. But once you hit a certain level – or I shouldn't say people, but there's kind of an environment. I felt, and correct me if I'm wrong, that kind of tries to rein that in. Like you're mentioning with the, the mm-hmm. city and the bureaucracy and all of that. Did, did you know? I've seen an analogy to this with the crab of buckets. Ironic. Uh, I mean, a um, bucket of crabs, <laughs> where you have a whole bunch of crabs. One's trying to get out, and the other ones kind of pull you that back down, kind of thing. Do you mm-hmm. think that that was the case here? And if think- so. Actually, the case from the very beginning, there was a lot of people that just did not believe that Baltimore could have a public Montessori school. Yeah. And they weren't afraid to tell you that. Um, So, again, it's, you know, if you're going to if you're going to do a big venture, really any venture, you know, you, you have to be clear about what you believe in. And stick with it and then surround people, surround yourself with people um, that also believe in it and are going to support you when it gets challenging like that and then just kind of taking it, you know, one step at a time, like proving them wrong. Um, there are so many great people in Baltimore trying to do great things, but there's so many stumbling blocks, uh, right. in the day, like you said. Um, so yeah, that was, the, uh, luck. Fortunately, there were other charter schools that had started before us. And so mm-hmm. I was able to learn from them, from their mistakes, from their guidance. And then, eventually even more came on. Now there's, they're really reining in having any more charter schools in Baltimore city, but at least there's uh, I forget the number now, but it's probably over 30. Um, but at least there's a, a, a pretty core group of those that can lean on one another when it gets challenging or when you have a question about how to navigate, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, so that makes that I think really helped our journey. And I really respect the, those couple of charter schools that did it in the early years, uh, kind of navigating the way at the time there wasn't as many rules. Um, so in some ways that helped them to be able to get going. Mm. Uh, and then now it's just so much harder to be able to open a school and stay open. So 
What about, um, let's talk a little bit more about education in general, if we could sure. on, on that. Um, you know, I, I think we had a big charter school movement at the time and you were, you were early on that, but there were some, you had some predecessors, right? Before that, it was pretty much all area schools if you needed a public school education, right? Mm, um, right. And, and we all know the challenges with it. And eventually it came to, it seemed like there was um, a, a, um, a, what you're describing now, there's like a combativeness between the two, right? In the public school world, would you agree? Was there some of that with against private schools too? Would it would it get to be where private schools weren't getting along because they thought, hey, maybe that charter school is doing so well, our kids aren't re-enrolling or or no? Uh, I I think somewhat. Um, I think some of the private schools were um, were struggling, but there but there's a really pretty strong, um, from what I can tell, pretty strong private school um, kind of sector in Baltimore. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, but yeah, there, and, and it's also interesting because the, the way it works in Baltimore and in the state of Maryland for charter schools is very different from other states around the country. So, you know, nationally there's, um, uh, conflicts, uh, public versus charter. Um, in Maryland, uh, Maryland's famed with one of the worst charter school laws because there's such a, a limited amount of autonomy is, is one of the reasons. Um, uh, but uh, I will say that the way they're set up in, in Maryland, I mean, they truly are public schools. They are public schools of choice. That's the main idea that families can make a choice based on what they feel their child needs and what their family values Um and that the money follows the child. So a lot of the controversy is about the about the money aspect, um, and then also the other controversy is around accountability. But there's a really strong accountability system, um, fairly rigid in some ways um, when you're trying to do an alternative model. But there's a pretty strong accountability system in in Maryland, um, and each state is very different. So it's really hard to talk about it on a national level because it's not necessarily apples to apples. Um, sure. We're not talking about private school vouchers, which is a whole different kind of school choice. Right. Um, um, and that is where I was going to like, how do you feel about all of these options in general? Right. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about the private school um, vouchers, um, to be honest. But um, I would say I, I do strongly believe in families being able to have a, a choice um, that Public education is a right quality public education, however you define that. Right. It's pretty ambiguous, but quality education, um, I believe, is a right for every child. Um, and, but I strongly believe for it to work well, parents having a choice about what they think is going to work for their child. A lot of kids can't sit in a desk all day long um, in uh, with a curriculum where everybody has to be on the same page on the same day at the same time. And if they didn't get it, it's too bad they have to move on and go to the next page tomorrow. Um, that just doesn't work for a lot of kids. Um, so I think the idea of choice based on what your child needs and what your family believes in is just extremely important. And I think it really adds to a vibrant community, a vibrant city um, to have that choice available. But I also do believe, you know, that there needs to be accountability um, in making sure 
making sure schools are managing money well and making sure they're serving children well. The managing money piece I brought up first because that's often how schools fail. Um, it is it is a very challenging uh, business model where you have, don't really have control over most any of it. Um, and it is, you know, you do have to run it as a business, even though it is education in order to, you know, make sure it's managed well. But yes, serving children well, managing it well, um, and in an ethical way, um, I think is extremely important and having accountability measures for that. It's just a matter of the how it's done and doing that in a, a high quality, authentic way. Mm. Because the, the traditional schools don't, they don't get measured in that way. You know, they're not, traditional schools aren't shut down if they're not managing well and serving kids well. Right. Very, very rarely does that happen. Uh, well, there's also, aren't they also uh, graded or or funded based on enrollment oftentimes? Yes. Uh, yes, they are. So if their enrollment is going down, if it's a neighborhood that's become uh, vacant, crime ridden, um, it can be hard for those schools to to run because they just they don't have enough funds because they're, they have such small enrollment. If, if it's a model where the money is following the child, which um, is is where it is leaning toward, um, although the funding model just changed recently, so we're all trying to kind of understand how that really looks since there's no formula to analyze anymore. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What, um, <laughs> yeah. What is, so? That's for what is that model looking like? I mean, is it what is it going to be based on? The idea that uh, the idea with that is um, for um, there to be additional funds um, based on what students need, um, but there isn't a clear funding formula for it, so it's hard to know. It's hard to predict what you're going to get and be able to budget accordingly. It's hard. It's hard to track that you're getting the correct amount of money. It's also hard to even look at. Uh, you know, is the funding following a, the child, and is it um, commensurate um, from traditional schools to um, to charter schools? Yeah. So you chose a path, obviously, of going starting this as a charter school, and we, we talked a little bit about those challenges. If you could wave a magic wand, go back in time with all of the uh, knowing what you know now, uh, would you choose a different path? Um, no, I definitely would not. No. Um, does that mean I want to do it again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't really have the energy to, to do it, sure. again, to be honest. Um, well, it's kind of nice, I think. Um, I, I think it was kind of good that that there was a lot of things I didn't know going into it because I think it it could possibly scare you away. Um, yeah. But when you don't know what you don't know, and you're just really, you know, you're young and passionate about what you believe is um, is good for kids, um, then you know that just keeps keeps pushing you along um, for as long as you you know have the energy and stamina to to keep doing the work and do it well. Um, what would you do differently? Let's say, you know, you're back in time, you got all the energy in the world, but the knowledge that you have today, what would you do differently now? Um, you mean for in starting a school? Yeah. Um, 
Well, we started in a crazy way. We started with students from three year old, three years old to fourth grade, which is um, uh, a really unusual way to start a Montessori school. Um, well, I don't think necessarily you need to have a Montessori school where all the children have started as three and four year olds because I think that's very limiting and um, doesn't make it accessible to a lot of families and also just isn't uh, realistic from a funding model, at least in Baltimore. Um, and there's some schools where they will, they'll charge for three and four year olds and then they go into the lottery at kindergarten. But we wanted our kids that were starting at three and four to, to stay with us. Right. Uh, so, but, you know, starting with that many kids at the older age, um, was pretty challenging, but I think also we, we were a little naive, um, and unclear on how to structure it successfully. So like, for example, I think in the early years, you know, we, we were trying to start as like a full on Montessori school for these kids that had never been in Montessori and, and really hadn't been in a classroom with, they've been in classrooms with very limited choice. So they didn't really know what to do being in an environment where they had so many choices. So Mm -hmm. it took quite a while to, um, learn how to structure the classrooms and the school um, to to build that culture where the kids wouldn't be so overwhelmed by choice coming in new to it, um, and um, and having teachers that that knew how to structure it successfully for each child that came in that door to be successful, even if it was you know for some kids it would take a little bit longer than others, of course. Um, but you can't go into it. We had a lot of teachers coming from private Montessori in the beginning, and a lot were very new, young teachers. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do, um, coming into this new startup public Montessori, kids that had never been in Montessori before, coming from all over the city. Um, so I think I would go about um, our, our staffing model, our training model for staff, and how we structured the classrooms and the school a little bit differently in the beginning. So it could have been a, a little smoother, um, startup, but I think our, our very clear and consistent Montessori vision and mission is, was the thread that helped us to keep moving along, making baby steps, um, toward that successful model that we're continuing to, it's, it's an ever evolving process that you're always working toward. Yeah. In education. In particular. Yeah. So I'm curious how you feel about online education with this. I mean, in my opinion, as a father of, you know, recent high school girls, um, especially during COVID, online education really took off, right? I mean, everybody was forced to go online, then it kind of became hybrid, then it was choice basically of either one. And I could see a lot of pros and cons either way. How would that how do you feel about that and how would that be incorporated into like, especially a Montessori education today? Mm, That's a great question. We actually um, considered um, if it was going to be allowed by the city and the state, we actually considered still offering a very small online program, um, but it it didn't end up being uh, allowed. Um, what I believe about online education is is similar to what I believe about education in general is that it's really about giving each child what they need and every child is different. So for some children, online work great. 
And for some children, it was, it was awful for them. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and I even found that with my own children um, who were going to school during the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, my oldest, um, my oldest went all through Montessori private from um, three or three years old, to third grade, because that was the only option. And then came to our school and then graduated in eighth grade, went on to try to public high school, tried a private high school, really was just so unhappy and ended up finishing her high school education uh, with online, mm -hmm. uh, which I was very nervous about. I was really unsure about that as a parent. But then when I saw the light come back into her eyes and that joy of learning come back, I was thought, okay, this is what, this is what's working for her. Um, but I, I really didn't think it would work for my, my other two didn't know at the time that they would be, they would end up being an online school anyways, because of the uh, pandemic. And it wasn't really that great of an option for them at the time. Um, now my daughter in college prefers online um, because she likes that it, you can adjust the pace. You can go back and, and revisit things that you can't do in the same way in a classroom. So I just think it really depends on the, on the child. And just like charters are a choice, I think online programs for kids um, can be a choice too. And just like homeschooling is a choice. So I think it's really knowing your kid and what they need and having that as a choice now that we, just like remote work, now that we know that that can be an option, it works well for some mm -hmm. people in businesses. I think it's great to have that choice. Um, doesn't mean I, doesn't mean I wish for us to go back to the, that time when we were all, um, virtual. Cause I don't right. think that, uh, that was healthy when it's not a choice. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's funny. My oldest who, you know, uh, during that time, we, we moved to Denver in the middle of COVID right before COVID started like that December, but we lived in Boulder, uh, Colorado, which is a whole different uh, school district. And we moved to Boulder from Baltimore, which was a whole different world, right? Right. <laughs> very, very different world. And totally. we didn't have the choice to go to Montessori right away just because, um, you know, they uh, we came mid-school year. Um, and then it, it turns out, you know, we stayed with uh, the normal local education there. Um, but during COVID, you know, they all had to go online and hybrid. And when they had to go back in, my oldest – really didn't do well there i mean it, it was uh it was a big local high school and they uh and, and she was very overwhelmed and just uh didn't enjoy it so she asked us hey can i just go back online i really like it there and she did and she loved picking her classes she loved making able to make decisions and on, on on what she was studying and everything <laughs> and it turns out she she ended up like loading up and you know graduating early she she took more classes than she needed to and now she's um going to beauty school actually because it turns out <laughs> that's what she likes but she's still thinking about college as well and yeah and, and she and, and pursues all her different interests at once yeah <laughs> uh, which yeah. is kind of neat and i think a lot of that goes back to the montessori roots but i think online allows kids to do some of that stuff now which is pretty neat <laughs> right yeah you yeah didn't have that before um yeah very limited before because when Absolutely. I was looking for high school programs for my daughter, there, there really wasn't that many around that were accredited. No. You'd still get a diploma. Totally. Yeah. So, well, um, I guess we're around that time where we should probably ask our, uh, our wayfinder for, are uh, you ready? Sure thing. Yeah. 
So tell us a hack that you use. A hack. Uh, Um, Something you use to cheat life with every day. Could be a habit, uh, uh, app. uh. (laughs) I mean, I would... uh, I've gotten much better at having a hack now than I did when I was running the school. Um, (laughs) Now that I'm... Uh, have transitioned away from that and into being a yoga teacher. Um, Oh, neat. um, I would say um, having some kind of, um, some kind of routine thing that you do, whether it's in the morning or like for me now, I, but, but I wasn't, I wish I was able to have done it when I was um, running the school. Um, But being able to take time in the morning for just a few minutes of, meditation, just a few minutes of going outside or finding a quiet spot to do some deep breathing. Um, but I did at least have a routine back then. And I think having some kind of routine when things get chaotic or challenging, um, kind of helps you keep, helps you move forward and helps you keep, keep going. I love that. So how about a favorite could be, and I actually hate so that's what's funny, but <laughs> I get just a little nugget, a little nugget of something. <laughs> I get it. I get Maybe it. I'm the same way. Coffee. I actually, you know, I, I my only routine is running. Uh, I run every day, but I, I, I don't have another routine otherwise. Like I don't yeah, even set a schedule most of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just do it. I don't know why, but it works well for me. Yeah. Uh, so what about a favorite? A favorite, uh, like a favorite hack, a favorite. No, a favorite book, movie, uh, 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 opera, whatever. <laughs> Just a favorite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I have trouble like pinpointing a favorite. I really love memoirs and I really love historical fiction. Um, oh, yeah. I never find quite enough time to read either. Um, but lately, um, and I just thinking of this because it's just been in the past week, but lately I've been hooked on the, um, these, uh, documentaries about, uh, how to live to be a hundred or, you know, what are the the keys to long, healthy, um, living, uh, which has been a lot of blue lagoon or something like that. Yeah. The blue zones. Yeah. Blue zone. Yeah. The five blue zones around the world where the most. Um, but interestingly, well, I won't give it away, but it's hard to keep those things in going, but a lot of it's, you know, obviously diet and, uh, connection, human, meaningful human connection, things like that. Um, so those are the things I've been just delving into recently. Now that I'm in my fifties, I think that's what's on my mind. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And you've, you've recently even pursued your own blue zone there, aren't you? Uh, yeah, so I uh, left Baltimore and moved to Florida for two years. And then we yeah. recently, two months ago, my husband Mario and I moved to Portugal. We're wow. in the um, Algarve zone in the southern portion uh, where it's sunny almost every day and beautiful beaches, kind people, safe, wow. very safe. Um, it's very, very safe. Um, it's one thing yeah. we were looking and also just pushing ourselves to keep growing and learning and meeting new people and learning a new language and um, exploring. Um, so it's been fun to take a different transition in life and be supporting the school in a, in a different way as a board member, um, but not the day-to-day hecticness of, of running the school. 
Yeah. I love it. Well, we're definitely going to have to go visit you there. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> what is some advice you would give your younger self? My younger self would be a few different things. It would be one, go out and explore. You know, don't wait till your 50s to explore. Um, I just never did that. So I've just been always craving it. Um, to try to follow your passion, try to work in a job that's that's uh, something you that's meaningful. It's something you believe in. Um, and I think the third thing would be, you know, try to live a little more simply. Don't worry about, um, you know, the big house or the clothes or, you know, just wasting your money on huge weddings, things like that. Like really just trying to live simply and, um, finding joy and, uh, you know, figuring out what gives you, what brings you joy. And certainly things are usually not it. That's right. I love that. What is something that you think keeps people from being happy? I think, I think fear, fear of making changes um, in their life, little or big. Hmm. I think we can get, we can get in a rut and it's, uh, it's, it's just sometimes hard to make changes. You're not sure yeah. what it's going to be on the other side. Right. It's funny. I, I feel like when I do something for too long and, and that too long is becoming shorter, right? Now it's just like, if I do something for like two years, one year, it's like, I need to, I need to do something crazy because I'm not happy anymore. You know, I need to just make a change. I went to Florida. We thought we'd be there for, I don't know, maybe forever. We were there two years and we're like, oh, it's, yeah. it's time to move on. Time to go explore somewhere totally. else. Yeah. yeah well, where we lived in Baltimore, in Boulder, we were there nine years, which is actually the longest I've ever lived anywhere. Oh, and wow. uh, it was a town called Lafayette, which is part of Boulder County. And um felt like purgatory. <laughs> and now we're in Denver, back in the city, and we're loving it and, and it's thriving. But we're also starting to think, okay, we like it enough to want to stay here a little longer. But it's starting to feel like maybe it's time to try some new things too. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Now we're liking the idea of just maybe becoming nomadic. We'll see what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. We have real spirit, you and Stacy, to do that. So, thank you, thank you. So, Allison, if anybody wants to know a little bit more about you, they want to go and start a school. How could they reach out to you for advice <laughs> if they could? Uh, sure, they could. Uh, they could look me up on Facebook, um, Allison Schechter. Um, they could also shoot me an email, Allison Schechter. S H E C. T-E-R at gmail.com. I'd be happy to talk with anybody that's uh, interested in any of the things I talked about. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I can't tell you how much of a treat um, this is. I, and I guess I should use this moment to just tell you how much of an impact you've had on our lives. Uh, <laughs> our uh, kids are a really, they had a great foundation. And that's because uh -huh. of what you started. Uh, we see it now, their curiosity, their courage to explore. Uh, going through this conversation with you makes me realize that. And uh, so thank you. I'm sure I'm not the only one. So thanks for everything you did for our kids and, and the youth you. you served in Baltimore. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> You're bringing tears yeah. to my uh, <laughs> You've always been um, so dear to me. And so this has been such a pleasure to, to reconnect. Yeah. 
We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.